Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Go on, Phil. <laughs> You've done it again. Hello, and welcome to the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take JB or the game too seriously. I am Phil here in the rugby dungeon alongside JB, who is who's wearing shoes. Uh, double sheathed, actually. <laughs> double double bagging tonight. Yeah, because those shoe perverts who have been. Uh Polluting our feed, filthy, disgusting shoe perverts. <laughs> Foot perverts are not shoe perverts, are they? Uh, yeah, it's different. They'll be disappointed you're wearing shoes. Yeah, because if they were shoe, shoe per- perverts, I've fallen right inside. Right? <laughs> They're playing 4D chess with your feet. <laughs> and Tim Cocker. Hello, Tim. Hello, Phil. Tim, your hair is looking incredible, immaculate. Oh, tw- the 24 hours, what a difference it can make. Although I did take your advice, Phil, uh, and not get, not go really early to get my hair cut. Because I, t- I took on board what you said about them being a bit rusty. Because I know, mm. I know when I go back to work, quite often after a two-week holiday, remember them. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I sort of go, how do I do this again? Yeah. And I have to contact IT to get my password sorted. Oh, I thought you meant like, present the radio. Yeah, no, that's, that is what I meant. <laughs> I'm Tim. No, genuinely, I like. I, I, no, genu- genuinely, I forget which buttons do what. So, ah. uh, after two weeks, so after three months of not cutting hair. Yeah. To be fair, I've got only eight buttons on my mixer, and I have no idea what seven of them do. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this podcast is uh, is our little monthly Q&A extra uh, as we delve into some of the questions, thoughts, starting points, debates, and uh, and funny stories that you've been sharing with us on email and on DMs and stuff. We're contactedchasers at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, and this is probably a, a good moment to say... That we're on Patreon. And, we are. And when we can, and oh, it's great to see people drink out on the street just in the middle of Chalton as I came, as I walked round to yours, JB. All the people on the street having beers, laughing and joking. It's great to see. I'm going on the tear on Friday. Decided. Really? Yeah, big time. Big time. Unleash. Unleashed. Is this a birthday unleash? I'm just going to go out. I'm just just I've, out. I've, I've decided. I've seen Manchester City Centre around the Northern Quarter. It looks amazing. Oh. Sort of pedestrianise the streets and put tables out and all sorts. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm down in London Thursday, Friday this week. How are you? Um, and I might try and have a, a drink or two in Soho. On, I'm in I'm Thursday in Newcastle night. on Saturday, oh, and nice. I might go on Friday night just to for some ruggers for some ruggers. So nice. uh, yeah, we'll get into that at the end of the podcast, obviously. But no, um, 
yeah, we're on Patreon, and when we can do live shows again, we want to do lots of those tier two tours, live shows with actual people with expertise taking care of all the bits that really matter. That's right. So that we don't have an embolism or stress, and um, and your support on Patreon is really helping with that. And in doing so, you will get priority access to live tickets when we can do them again. And among the various other things you can find, little perks you get, which you can find out about patreon.com slash eggchasers, we also have a shirt draw, which we will do in a little bit as well. Uh, but to the emails and the questions, anyone want to kick off with one? Um, yeah, I'd just like to point out that you're not watching the... Um Oh, I've named the feed the bloody European Cup feed. What, what <laughs> one idiot? <laughs> Idiots. Oh, we can, I'm sure you can change that. Yeah, afterwards. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, literally, as we've been talking, someone has just dropped into our DMs, our uh, email account, and left us a message. So shall we read that? Yeah, go on. Uh, if I can find it. Great podcasting. James Davis. Look at that. Hello, Hi, James. Um, J- JD. JD, yep, yeah, J- JD. Uh, okay, not related to the European Cup, but where does the position first five eights come from? I can't, wo- I can't work out how that relates to fly half. We would call it position, right? Um, I, I don't know the answer to this. This is one of the things I have had it explained to me by multiple New Zealanders, but I honestly don't. I honestly don't know. Do you know? I, I know it's uh, an Antipodean thing. But I don't know exactly. I'm probably the same as you. I think I'm sure we've had it explained to us before, but I can't quite remember. The first five five eights and second five eights, isn't yes. it? Yes, I don't know where the uh, second so, five eights is twelve, isn't it? So, so yeah. you can you've got half backs, which is a fraction fractional position like thing. Oh, you've got yeah. you've got three quarters, which is what the back line is known as. So I'm assuming all these fractional. So, descriptions of positions actually all link up in some way. The three quarters. So, so a halfback would be a number nine. So or, I, or the halfback. Nine, nine and ten. Hang on a minute. I thought he was a halfback because he was not a back and he was not a forward. He's in between the two. Hence, he's a halfback. Yeah, I know. But that's why. All I'm saying is you've got yeah, you've got the five eighths. You've got three quarters. You've got halfbacks. These fractional things. Do they relate to each other at all? Well, then, if if so, a halfback. So a half represented in eights would be four eighths. Which would mean one out from four eights would be five eights. So at least that kind there is a, a degree of logic between those mm. two things. And first is first five eighths and second five eighths, or is that rugby league? I'm not even sure. I'm not even <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think that's a comprehensive answer. Do, do you think that's a comprehensive answer? Well, I think actually what all we've done is say, please tell us what the answer to that one is because we don't know. Brilliant. And I should know. That's the sort of thing I can't believe I don't know. I, I'm, I think you're right. I think exactly as you said, JB. I've probably been told at some point and. It's gone in, in one ear, out the other. Well, I've, I've got a question here. An- cool. Another simple one. And this is for from Ben Askham, for for our resident financial advisor. Oh. Which you. is JB. Okay. And he says, would the cost of a hair transplant be tax deductible <laughs> from, the, <laughs> from the income of your image rights company? And is this why we see so many players going for it? Uh, well, the answer is no. No, it would not. <laughs> uh, there are actually some... No, I'm not an accountant. This is not um, in any way advice. Please do not sue me. It's not what I do. I'm, I do pensions and investments, some insurance, but I do not do tax advice. However, however, there are some weird HMRC rules, and I, I'm pretty sure the example given is of an Elvis yeah. impersonator. I, I, do, do, do you, you know that? Yeah, you heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it used to be, and even in my line of work, even in radio, people used to rinse this years ago. They used to get their clothes and put them, make them tax yeah. deductible and stuff. And um, 
and but now it has to be an act. You have to be, demonstrate that you do not use anything for personal use. So same goes with a haircut. You used to be able to put haircuts through on as a tax deductible That's expense. In- if you're doing a, a specific hairstyle for a one specific shoot, let's say, uh-huh. then that might be you might be able to get that one. But generally, you you have the same. What if ha- your makeup lady does hair for BT Sports? Say. Eh? Because that that would be a specific shoot, wouldn't it? That would be specific, but then you would benefit from that haircut after, outside a- afterwards. Yeah. So I don't I don't think haircuts you can and clothes you definitely mm. can't if you wear them at any point outside. So you would have to prove it's a costume, it's a specific thing. Indeed, which is why like uh, ZZ Top. Um, uh, this is a true story. So, <laughs> uh, Billy Gibbons or one of the Gibbons brothers from ZZ Top had this really expensive sports car, which he. Put in one of the music videos, <laughs> brilliant <laughs> to get it in as a tax deductible. Awesome. Expense. So, so to answer the question, then, unless Stuart Hogg, for example, is having his hair unplugged and then replugged <laughs> around match days, yep. seven hours on the operating table before and after a game, then it cannot be a tax deductible. Sounds ridiculous, expense. but I'm pretty sure Gavin Henson might have got some ta- tax deductible expenses because he treated playing rugby like a night out. <laughs> and actually, it was for a specific performance. Yes, so his um, ladies' razors for his legs. Le- yep. His tanning creams. and I mean, that literally was for one event. I think he probably could get get, get away with that. I'm not so sure. And on the broader point, I guess, and, and you, he did mention it was for the image rights deal, but rugby players are employees, aren't they? So they, they don't have any private <coughs> tax and uh, all you of can, that. Well, you can claim some things back. Well, v- yeah. Voonprop Limited and yeah. Wiggy9 Limited. Which are all specifically for the image rights, rights yeah. deals, as we covered on the previous I poll. boot shopping could be fun. To a certain degree, but then that, even that gets old when you've got unlimited budget to buy rugby boots and people send you f- them for free anyway. Yeah, I was going to say all the best players, actually, the top level players, will well, not pay for any boots. But then you would have to, technically, you would have to declare that as a benefit in kind. Yes, not if you bought your own. No, no. Yeah, but if, if you get it as a if gift, you get them, if you get them as a gift, technically you should pay tax yeah. on that as a benefit. Well, in kind. I, here's what I think. I think this uh, question has come to its natural conclusion. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think. Agreed. <laughs> I've got one from Ethan John Bamfield. Thank you very much, Ethan, uh, who's emailed contactdegchasers at gmail dot com. And we've just seen French teams absolutely dominate in the Champions Cup, and um, and he's rightly, I think, interested in that that future tussle between Untermac and Jalabert. And so, to, to sort of summarise the question, it's. Who would you? Who do you think is the the one A and one B in that pair when you look in the years ahead? And would you consider playing one at either twelve or fifteen for France to accommodate them both? Right. Okay. So I think he wants this in two ways. I think you say that under this coach, Entomac is the number one. Yeah. And I think the reason he's the number one is not because he's necessarily the best fly half. But because the coach obviously likes him. He's a 12. Well, he was a 12 at Toulouse. Now, he has been moving around a bit, little, little bit more. But the fact they like him so much to move him to 10 tells me that he is really very much like that. Now, long term, with a different coach, I think Jalabert probably get, goes up the pecking order. And maybe Entomac goes out to 12. But remember this. The French do not like distributing 12. So, like, big Jonathan Dantes and... Gail Ficou is a good example. He's been playing 12. Yeah, that, yeah. Although he played 13. He played, he played 13. Oh, yeah, you're right. Fafana played a lot of 12, but he's a he's not really distributing 12. He's a running 12. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the, the point that you made a while ago, was it from your interview with Kayser? Yeah. About bon, the... Bon, 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 about I can't tell you how angry I was about that Benjamin Kayser <laughs> interview. Because I had an independent thought to interview Benjamin Kayser. I thought, I'm going to interview Benjamin Kayser. He's such an interesting guy. He always comes across well on TV. Unfortunately, 
he comes across too well. And therefore, everyone had the same independent thought as me and got all of their interviews out two, two days before Ropey Dungeon. Furious. He, he's awesome, Kezar. He's bloody good, isn't he's he? He's really, really... And he, he's one of those who can... Unlike some pundits who are quite one-eyed when they're watching a team that they've played for or national team that they support, he gets across his patriotism but also puts it across in a balanced way. Mm. He, he's superb. Yeah, and... I could listen to him just pronounce names all day. It, the way he was going, oh, it's wonderful play from Faf de Clerc. <laughs> it was uh, wonderful. Uh, you got a question there, Tim? Uh, I've just given you one. So I, I've got a question. Go on. So, um, <laughs> this, this make is, sure you delete them as you read them. This is this is a very interesting one. So, hello, Egg Chasers. This is from Tom Riley. Hello, hmm. Tom. I'm a relatively new listener to your podcast, which I very much enjoy. I first need to thank you for making me seem incredibly smart in my economics course, thanks to your episode on the simultaneous multi-round auction. (laughs) Because I'm a shit student and I learn half my economic theory off you, I I could not name any Nobel Prize winning theory before that. Um, Unfortunately, Egg Chaser Ruby Podcast is not deemed a reputable source by the University of Oslo. So could you please write a quick economics paper? And that would be helpful. Funny enough, um, that... That hang on, let me get this right. Because our listener base is so knowledgeable, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It never ceases to amaze. Uh, yeah. I've now got, uh, I'd say, quite a good friend. I've never met the guy, but I text him quite a lot. Uh, who lives in Singapore? Um, who is a very, very high-ranking economist? I'd, I guess you'd call him. Uh, who works for an investment house out in Singapore? I can't mention his name because he doesn't want, want me to. Or who he works for? <laughs> but a very big firm, and it's fascinating because I love talking about economics, and mm. I love the responses that I get about economics. Yeah, and that was a particularly interesting potential. No word on it being taken up just yet. But not yet. Could, not yet. could enhance not just rugby, a lot of um, sporting events. Well, let's hope rugby first. Anyway, the question. My question to you is, instead of multiple resets and penalties at scrums when they're five meter out, five metres out, couldn't rugby employ an NFL-style half-the-distance-to-the-goal idea? This would mean the first scrum five metres out would be on the five, then it'd be 2.5. Oh, good. And you'd move closer and closer. That is good. Oh, um, that's really good. Ooh, that's interesting. Because you, you, you couldn't do a half the distance to the goal line from halfway is significant. You take, take you just outside the 22. Yeah, you could maybe enforce this rule in the 22. Within the 22. I like that. Yeah. What about this rule? You get to choose whether you want in the middle of the pitch or, or less distance. Oh, okay. So you yeah. can go Cause, one cause, way or, or, or another. Because actually with... I mean, I'm just thinking, certainly with pick and goes, being too close is detrimental. That's why the five-metre line. Because for, for a pick and go, you've actually got to tap the ball. When you tap it, the opposition can start moving. Yes. They, yes. they would actually nail you behind the gain line if you were half a metre from the try line. So, so that's no good. Scrums add an additional layer of complexity. But there becomes no offside line so from the back foot of a yeah. scrum if you're too close. So this is a really elegant solution to a problem we don't have. Because the problem is not <clears throat> the penalty and the resets and the scrum. The problem is where does the blame lie for the scrums collapsing? That's always the problem. Now, yeah. if you can nail where the problem lies, then you can penalise them. And actually, the set of rules we have are OK. But it's very hard because you could have one person doing something naughty on one side and his opposite man the other tight head on the other side doing the, exactly the same naughty thing yeah and then who do you penalize and that's when it becomes a complete and also you know you have a prop hinging so it looks like the 
opposition prop has gone down, but actually just hit, you know, there's so many yeah. things. It looks like the opposition prop has gone long when one prop hinges. If yeah. you could, if you could go back, if you could just hit a button now and go back to pre TMO replays mm-hmm. and TMO interventions, would you? Uh, that's interesting. This is a little bit like the question for the people who were protesting against the M25 40 or 50 years ago, would you now go and remove the M25? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Uh, I don't think I would remove TMO interventions. I think on the whole they do a very good job. Mm. And you only need to look at VAR to realise how good they are. Yeah, the comparison from VAR to... I I wouldn't. And for all the things that... um, are done badly. I think the standard of refereeing and overall decision making has improved significantly. Actually, I even even over the last agree. ten or fifteen years. Yeah, um, I completely agree. But sometimes um, it, it was sort of with the penalising at the scrums. It just it, it suddenly got um, made me think there is nothing perfect. But asking that question in that way just sort of might move the conversation on from just moaning about decisions. Yeah, because with something as complex as a scrum. We, that's one of the beauties of it. There will always be a slight bit of magic eight ball about it. Yes. Yeah, and that's that is the frustration. I'd, I'd almost say no penalties from scrums. Yeah, uh, like free, you can have free kicks, but almost never a penalty because exactly as you say, Jay. You look from a different angle on the same scrum, and you could penalise either team, yeah. and it's a coin toss. You say no penalties though, because. I really like some of the strategies employed to get a penalty from a scrum. I'll give you one which I think is completely legitimate. I wouldn't like to see that thrown out just because we've said no penalties. So when when the ball gets to the base of the base of the scrum, they wait for the. How oh, I need to get this exactly right. Yeah. So when the ball gets to the eight feet, that's when you put the secondary drive on yeah. because the opposition flankers, flankers will start now, to relax. Yeah, start to relax because they're waiting to go for the eight. And that's when you win your penalties. And I think that's a completely legitimate bit of gamesmanship between the two uh, packs there. And I wouldn't like to see that go. Well, yeah. th- maybe there is a threshold of clear and obvious. And when one team is just marching forward, there's... I mean, I would always want that to be part of the game because you know the yeah, days of watching Tonga Weir and Majati yeah. at Northampton just oh, La Rochelle this weekend. La Rochelle this weekend. Talk about that. Yeah. Or, or Leicester Tigers against Newcastle. Yeah. So maybe it's a bit too hasty to say no penalties, but it's the it's the lottery element of it. The yeah, the the ones that appends immediately on the hip when one goes to when one hinges from the hip and one goes flat onto the floor, and sometimes yeah. it's given one way, sometimes it's given the other. So I know I've spoken about this before, but there is a really interesting bit of work done by I want to say Dassault, but it's not Dassault. It's a different French aviation firm who built the scrummage machine yeah. in France, and they'd hit this machine, and what they found is they were hitting so hard they were bouncing out of their binds this is when you did have a hit and now they sort of engage and it does seem like that solved solved a lot of problems but yeah well that's another one is that you just made me think is there any new contraptions that that rugby could use to solve current issues because i remember seeing that little video of the curry twins you've been on on the rhino doing their jackalin with the with the yeah with the rhino um tackle uh bag things not yeah. tackle bag but the the, yeah. What's it called? They've got, uh, well, they've got all one of those big round stand-up things on the floor, and then you've got people pulling them in different directions. Well, with, they had, with, with had rubber, diamond rubber bands. Yeah, you had diamond with two rubber bands for BT Sport, holding them like you know, like they're Alsatians or like little fighting <laughs> bulldog type things. Sicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, go on the um, the Rhino website. They make things on there contraptions which I didn't even think that I, that I needed, uh, but they you know like. Um, 
big donuts which you strap a ball into and you roll across the pitch and then someone's got to take the ball up the donut it's all sorts of weird but stuff a lot, of, a lot of coaches have come up with uh, inventive uh, things that they've adapted things which already exist like Steve Balthwick gets up on a stepladder for, for line outs he stands on a stepladder and puts his arms up in the air and the hookers have to try and hit his hands and then you've got I think it's I think it might be Northampton I can't remember which team but they have like a big like landing fishing net which yeah. the coach holds up in the air and the hookers throw it in the net. So here was my idea. And that, that goes up. They'll put it to a different height and they've yeah. got to hit it, haven't they? Yeah. So here was my idea. And if you want to make this, you can, but you need to pay me royalties. <laughs> so do you know, in the gym, you get your 20 kilogram bar. Yeah, me and Phil know about the gym. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah, you know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you put it in the corner and then you do your um, lifts or your rows on it. Yeah, you, you, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you do like a chest press type thing with it pivoting yeah. in the corner, or yeah. you'll do a, a like a barbell row to the chest. Yes, barbell row would be the best way to describe it. So it was kind of like that, but then a fixed like a fixture on the floor, which releases with a certain amount of pressure. So you can either go on it and then lift the bar, and it releases with a certain amount of pressure when you're pulling up, um, or better still, you have different rugby balls which you which with a hole in which you put on the bar. Right, and they're different weights, so it replicates a weighted jackal. So it's like you're trying to lift the ball, the weight of a man. So you could put 120 kg, so you're lifting a prop, uh-huh. but your grip point is the ball. Correct. Ah, yes, and then you can just do your rows, but with like a, r- a rugby ball. Yeah, and you could hold it in different directions and all sorts. Now you can always do that just with a partner. But you can't do it on your own in the gym. You can't, no. And you don't. And you need, if you want to range from, say, a warm-up weight of 60 kg through to a, a 154 kg Uini Antonio, you'd have to have 20 partners. Yeah, do you know, you've just given me an idea there. So my idea was actually a actual weight in the shape of a rugby ball. Like kettlebells oh. are all the same size, but yeah. different weights. Yeah, yeah. But actually, if I just had the grip, I could use traditional weights and put the grip on the end yeah. and jackal that. Having having weighted rugby balls from, um, well, a regular weight rugby ball through to Uini Atonio, where it's made of uh, plutonium or something <laughs> where, like that. But where they look comp- exactly, exactly the same. The so when same. you throw one at someone, they're expecting a normal rugby right. ball. Yeah. That would be quite funny. Have you ever thrown a past developer at someone to kick? Hilarious. <laughs> Absolute banter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, fully this. And they, oh, it's highly amusing. It's highly amusing. <laughs> Of course, many podcasters have not played rugby, so they wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, next question. Oh, no, that, that, I was also just going to ask one more little hypothetical question. If you could have it so that, like ice hockey, punch-ups one-on-one were allowed, would you would you let that go? Maybe, but... <sighs> no. Yeah. I'm afraid to say. I mean, I'd want to say yes for the machismo, but actually, the answer's no. I, I also wouldn't, albeit I'd like to see it. I'd like to see how brave people actually are if that was the the rule. Because yeah. now there's people are very brave when everyone knows that they are not going to get punched. Yeah. So everyone said, can stand up to anyone. And, and for the record, in, in ice hockey, they still get the equivalent of yellow cards. Yeah. I don't want to institutionalise it, although I wouldn't mind a blind eye being turned to it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but I don't want it to be a thing which, like, I don't want there to be a player on there just to fight. Because you do have that in amateur rugby, a guy who's just come on there just to fight. And it's not particularly pleasant, but it does it does occasionally occasionally happen. Yeah. So, no, I wouldn't want that to ha- that to be a thing. 
I, yes, I, I actually agree, but that doesn't mean I don't miss a proper scrap. Yeah, if they want to I don't miss some genuine shoe pie. Yeah, if it's boiled over, genuinely boiled over, by all means, by all means. Yeah. I saw a wonderful video the other day of a second row in training knocking out one of his teammates. Who was that? London Scottish, maybe. Don't know, don't know. It was making the rounds on... Oh, uh, yeah, I know the video yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. No, it was London Irish. Was it London Irish? It was London Irish. Someone gets absolutely leathered. I know the players you're talking about. Do, do you? I do know ah, the players you're talking about, yeah. What if I can find that video again one day? Uh, okay, I'm going to go with this question, and this is from Dave, I want to say Kuzik, uh, and he was listening to, to the podcast. He has a few thoughts. Uh, he wants to defend sociologists, which is brave. Uh, it wouldn't be the hill I chose to die on, but okay. <laughs> uh, noted, you want to defend sociologists. Um, he does agree with a lot of what we say about you know, the fake expert bollocks, and you know, that, that there is... Um, a lot of fake expertise when it comes to the concussion, high tackle, safety debate. But he has this question. With that in mind, what do you think a study into concussion in rugby should look like? What sort of questions should be asked? And who should be consulted? What sort of statistical data should be examined? Over <sighs> to you, gents. Great question. It is a really good question. Because it's all well and good, um, us kind of observing that... <sighs> Much like um, a tobacco company um, funding research into cigarettes, mm. yeah. people with an agenda um, researching concussion will always come to one conclusion. Yeah, um, and to, to be clear, on the because um, yeah, he's referring to my comment about sociologists tend not to use empirical data, as in uh, n- large numbers, large sample sizes, and stuff. Uh, that is often that is very often true, and they they use ethnography is what it's called what it's basically they use individual cases and draw those together to to create themes and that's called an ethnography i think Um, yeah well i have seen a sociologist talk about rugby yeah yeah but but, so all i was saying is yeah of course they do i I was uh, yeah but very unempirically i was taught i I made an absolute statement about something which is not absolute yeah well i have actually seen a a sociologist talking about rugby and he describes rugby as child abuse um child abuse through neglect and i would think neglect would be not taking your child to rugby and instead locking him up in a flat that you know that is what's really hard uh about this because it and it's i don't don't want to get into um covid as a, a thing but it's 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 similar in the sense that yes People get ill and die from uh, from COVID nineteen. What about all the other damage? But it's about the it's about the cost and the consequences of the way that you choose to deal with that, and what might the ramifications be both now and in the longer term, economically, socially, in terms of health. And actually, you can't decide whether the the actions that were taken are right and uh, and proportionate unless you actually factor all of those things in and that's what's difficult with concussion is you know self esteem confidence uh, socialization yeah. uh, leadership um tol- uh, tolerance respect so Dis- discipline yeah. Dis- so discipline health fitness you all of these things are factors as well so let's think of the actual questions here okay yeah. so with this in mind what do you think the study into concussion should look like so I'll start off with that one. The studying to concussion should be limited in its focus to only the professional game. I think you need a scientific answer where science is responsible for an increase in concussions. And I 
think that is pretty obvious that when you get superhumans running into each other with the added advantage of sports science and training and nutrition, more concussions will happen. And it is a professional sport and it is revenue generating. Uh, That's what I would say it needs to look at. I think it leaves the amateur game completely alone. What sort of questions should be asked? I honestly don't know. And what sort of statistical data should be examined? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm less averse to studying the amateur game as well. Um, I, think, I think the main focus should be on the professional game. And I think World Rugby do do a lot of this. Um, certainly over the last few years, they've hugely increased this element. But it, it should be some of the data that we've already had that has led to the the um, law variations or, or the r- rather the guidance on the high tackle framework and the head contact framework has come out of data from um, World Rugby th- which showed for example the, the counterintuitive thing that the um, tackler is more likely to be concussed from a tackle than the tackled player yes. which is without that without the study into it we wouldn't have had that bit of data and because it's the um, the if you think of a concussion from a tackle the immediate thing you will think of is high tackles where the ball carriers have their head taken off which of course does lead to a high tackle that's an extreme example but immediately obvious but far more innocuous but far more frequent is bad tackle technique from a tackler two players go high or just one player goes low one player goes high and um, a head hits an elbow a shoulder a hip a knee just think of this so Here's a question I'd like to ask, and it's not really about concussion, but I think it's a really important thing we have to get established, which is what... I don't know how you even go about doing this, but I think we need to sort of establish what the perceived risk of rugby is before publishing what the actual risk of rugby is. Now, the reason I say that's important is because I don't perceive it as very dangerous, and if it was told to me it was 20 times more dangerous, I think I would still play. But I don't know... But, but your baseline would be very different to yes. Alison Pollock's, for example. Exactly. What is our baseline of risk? Yeah. So Alison Pollock would say it's very risky. Um, there's lots of parents out there who say it's very risky. So I'd like to know what the how it is perceived before we go and then say, well, here's some data. Because I don't know if that data would say... <laughs> I mean, if you told me... Hang on. If you told me it's very risky, I'd agree with you, but I'm happy to accept that risk. That's what I mean. How much risk yeah, and, are people and, are willing to accept? And so, it, once upon a time, when motor cars were first, when they were new, and I think motor cars are responsible for the most amount of deaths, and if you put deaths and injury together, uh, probably the highest cause of total risk in, in, the, in adults in the UK. Doesn't surprise me. Possibly in the world. And one. There was a time when the speed limit for motor cars was two miles per hour. And there was even a period where if you had a motor car, you had to have someone going in front of it waving a flag. (laughs) (laughs) So now you could cut all death and all personal injury from motor vehicles by reverting to a two miles per hour speed limit. Yeah. But the reason we don't is because in order to function in the way we want and to have the kind kind of lives we want, we all accept a level of risk that means we may well die and yep. we may well get injured. But it's uh, worth it to get our shopping. But it's worth it <laughs> to, to live the way we want to do. Yeah. And uh, so it's Worth just, it to go to hospital, worth it to do all so, these things. So to tap into what you're saying, I think 
th- there is a general safetyism across culture at the minute, and I just think accept, just accepting risk is is absolutely essential. And I, so I think that any research that's done needs to be done very long term. And because there's various things, they haven't even broken down. Everything's focused on what happens in games, but we're starting Ooh. to hear stuff about the repeated small impacts in training, in training, and they can actually be far more consequential than one huge hit yeah. on a match day. And I think the pro game does have some real issues because they are training every day. They do have multiple impacts, far more than I have, far more than any amateur player has. And the thing which really muddies it is the money, because you're paying them. They're incentivized to stay in the game, even against their own benefit, their own health benefit. Whereas if I'm really badly concussed, I'll stop playing. I'll just stop playing tomorrow. I mean, I probably wouldn't. Because, but that's but my personal lot, yeah, choice, not lot, based on... That, that's your personal a lot choice. Of, a lot of people would. Yeah. But if Most your mortgage if your mortgage depends on it, then it's a much more difficult decision. Yeah. So yeah. We, owe, we owe it to the pros to actually look into this in, to the nth degree... We owe it to them to explain exactly what the risks are, but I don't think we changed the game fundamentally unless unless you've got a really compelling thing to tell me. Because we've outlined the risks. Here they are. Would you still like to play? Yes, I would. Okay. And I think one thing you can acknowledge is that in professional rugby, body types have changed. Um, People are bigger than they have been in other ages and stuff, but it's, it's a very different... Amateur versus professional is is two completely different sports, effectively. But oh, there are. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at laws and stuff, rather than being punitive and just constantly trying to stop that, do that, make sure you only do that to there. There are. I th- I would try and be more proactive and things like trial no knock-ons. Mm, that is to good. get yeah. more ball in play time, less scrums, d- change the body type of players. But like scrums are no longer the problem. The reason we came up with no knock-on is because that was the moral panic of the day a few years ago. <laughs> scrums were going to end the end the sport. No, but I have s- I have said before. You tell me, and uh, if, if you're listening, keep your eyes out on it and tell me the next time you see it because I'm going to maintain you will not see this statistic on the telly. Ball in play time does not get shown because it would it's- be an embarrassment to rugby if it was ever shown because. Ball in play time, typically in games, is about 25 to 30 minutes. Yeah, you're right. We need to really reduce that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we have another question, unless you have one. I I have one here, and I love this question. Go on, you go for that one. Okay, this is from Edmund Smith. Hello, Edmund. Hello. Hi, guys. Love the show, obviously. Um, (laughs) What do you think of having maximum combined weights for the squad so you can have your massive wingers, but you have to compromise in the centres or the pack? This would stop the trend towards every position getting bigger. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. This is like one of those all-time questions. This would be 0% body fat. This would be rugby's not a game for all ages, all shapes and sizes anymore. I never thought of that. And stripping and shredding before the fight. God, the so drugs problem is massive. Make, like, yeah. <laughs> no, genuinely, they yeah, were, yeah. they? Uh, things like having to make weight before the game. Might... Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd never... So, i never thought of that. You'd have to have a playing weight where you'd be comfortable at... Because it, well, I guess fighters yeah. do... Okay, you couldn't be a fighter, could you? Because a fighter just has to strip all his weight. He, he has one... Uh, 24 hours before a fight, he has to be a certain weight. He or she has to be a certain weight, and then mm. but that, that's it. And you fight once every three months. Yeah, but there are wrestlers, I think, will do more weekends, like collegiate wrestlers. So they all be stripped. Oh, my God, what an awful profession this would be. Because you have to strip your weight during the week. 
and then get back up. Uh, you weigh in on a Friday before the game or yeah. Thursday, and then drink loads of um, uh, coke and eat pizzas and whatnot. Get back up to weight <laughs> like fighters do, and then away you go. Oh, that sounds horrendous. Yeah, yeah and the, the additional strain on your body if you're trying to recover while you're training, recover from the game, recover while you're training, but also manage your weight to to that point. It could, it could be the unintended consequences Death. in terms of player well-being could be massive. No, but, but on the flip side, like Faf de Klerk would be the most valuable player on earth. Yeah, Aaron, and, and Aaron like Smith. you would never yeah. see a Mike Phillips scrum half again. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I can't accommodate yeah. someone as big half, as you. Scrum half are like jockeys. Yeah, but you could, someone like Cheslin Colby would be incredible, so or Mike Lowry. Right, okay. So I love the concept. I think the concept's bloody the, brilliant. The like. strategy element they would add to the game would be huge. I don't think it's worth it for that. I think the trade offs in other areas are. It's too big. Yeah, I've never considered that. I've just thought, yeah, okay, we'll just assemble a bunch of boys. And, what, and also, you probably. A lot of Fijians would. Not just because they're huge men, but because you wouldn't you wouldn't take the risk if you were a club going. Well, when when he goes back home for three months, who knows what he's going to be like <laughs> when he comes back? Well, hang on, is this I, this probably sounds like a question for Ross Tucker, someone like that, rather than me? Well, definitely, actually. <laughs> is there a way to get strong without increasing your muscle size? Like, is there a type of strength that you can like? Can you be powerful without having you know so you, big muscles? You can, yeah, you can get stronger. So. F- Fighters will train to get stronger without necessarily getting heavier, except in heavyweight categories. Because obviously, absolute strength relies on muscle size. Like one rep max, and that's done. That's totally anaerobic. That doesn't engage your aerobic system at all to just have max strength. But then, but you could get, you can definitely get stronger without necessarily getting heavier. Yeah. There, you would, there would be a compromised relationship between the two. So, if you want to be absolutely stronger. Look at um, Eddie Hall sitting at 190 something kg when he's competing in the world's strongest man. Yeah, and he can drop down to 150 or 160 kg, but he will not be as strong. So I've had fights with unbelievably strong individuals who are tiny in jiu-jitsu. Mm. Unbelievably, like it just—it's like trying to bend iron bars. You just can't—you can't, you can't <laughs> do anything with them. Like alien face huggers. Well, that's also like where the strength is as well. That will be total core. Cool. Yeah, and, when, and coordination of court, it. Yeah, wonder if it changes, uh, you know, how these guys train, and also is there an element of what they do in training to put on muscle bulk for protection from injury or whatnot? Yeah, I don't know. And isn't jujitsu isn't isn't a big part of that using your opponent's weight and yeah. force? I, I mean, I think them. I think Steven Seagal says about uh, Aikido, but I think actually it's just about. No, oh my god! I, I interviewed Steven Seagal once, and did he need to break your wrist? Uh, yeah, and I said I just said to him, look, I just want to feel, I just want to feel what it's like to be on the receiving end of something. Can you just do some Aikido on me? And he said, hold your hold your arm out. He, no, he just said, come at me. So I just <laughs> I just I just did a very slow motion punch, and he just he just without with no effort whatsoever. As soon as he grabbed my wrist, it was like. It was like a bear. Ooh. It was unbelievable. And he just, he just, is he a big guy? He's massive. Is he? He's, he's huge. And he just um, <laughs> he just put my arm in a position and I, I couldn't move. And I, I, I honestly, fe- it felt like my forearm bone was bowing. Wow. Yeah. It was frightening. So I really like Under Siege. I, I love it because of the Missouri class battle. Is it Missouri class battleship? I'm going to be embarrassed if it's not. I'm sure it's the USS S- Missouri. Wonderful ship. Um, Steven Seagal is according to this six three six four and one hundred and twenty kilos. I'd fancy my chances. <laughs> that's tight. Prop territory. His hands were 
massive. So am I. <laughs> you're, you're under 100 kilos at the moment. Yeah, but I'm. I'm yeah, I, look, it's what I, you do with it. Yeah, if, if I bulk like Steven Seagal, I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I take him. Um, just to answer the, uh, the flip side of that don't question. Don't rock on JB's on yeah, Don't rock on chairs, Phil. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The, the, um, the flip side of that question, which I do remember Ross Tucker talking about on his uh, Science of Sport podcast, is kind of the, the reverse of it is um, when you are an endurance athlete lower weight is always better yes so there is a the, the more you lose the better you're doing up to a point because the trend for that would be well if you weigh zero kilograms you're going to be the best performing you can possibly be and that is not true there will always be a tipping point past which you ah. the more weight you lose you'll have compromises in strength and yes. like the reverse will be true It'll be, there'll be a, a relationship that you can get stronger at the same weight you could get stronger again if you put on weight, but there'll be like a balancing point, a tipping point mm. um, between the two. Uh, Gavin Hegarty has emailed, and this is off the back of, uh, inspired by something that happened in the Leinster, Leinster, Exeter, Leinster game the other day. And he said, hey lads, something we've been talking about on WhatsApp just came up again. Leinster got advantage under the posts, and then Jordan Lama scored a try in the corner. Would it make sense for the conversion to be given from where the advantage was given? It's an interesting thought from Gav, John Cummins and Connor Cronin. Uh, I think that's a good rule. I don't think... Do I think no, because the trade-off is you take you take the three. If you've got a kick in the middle, you can take the three or you can roll the dice to score out wide. And then if you fail to score out wide, you can come back and take the three. So it seems like too we'll much of a... Girl. It takes. Too, it seems like too much of a benefit to roll the dice, manage to get, and then still get the effectively the original conversion. Yeah, I think that's. How, fair. And what happens if you get the advantage in a less? No, hang on. It doesn't matter. Is it? Is it advantage? Yeah. yeah well, well, here is what. Your advantage. So I think we're saying no. We're all right with it as it is, Gavin. But uh, it sparked one thought of mine: is with one of those strange occurrences which we've seen a few times recently. There was a couple of times in the Six Nations where. Um, a penalty try was scored and a yellow card was given but had but but on the occasions when a player actually scores the yellow card is not given yeah. even when so if it, if it was like advantage I'm going to give a penalty try but the player then scores oh I'll give the score no yellow card versus yellow card and and in that scenario because the uh, penalty try is automatically seven points and I think in one oh. of those scenarios they scored right in the corner so this is one where you, there was definitely one in the Six Nations I can't remember which game where they would have been better to not play the advantage allow it to be penalty try, try. no try, yellow try. card and no com- potentially no conversion yeah and it, it ended up being a five point score and no yellow card instead of a seven point score and a yellow card yeah so th- that's the one that but then it's I think you could, you should still be able to come back, which I think you can still come back for the yellow card, even if play um, progresses significantly beyond it. So the reason I don't think it, I think it's okay as it is, is because I think a penalty try is for like the most egregious of infringements. So they would say, "How? Well, it's not, is it? Because if you think the try would have been scored and the penalty is committed, it's the probability of yeah. it." So then that is a penalty try. But I, that standard is not always enforced, I don't think. So it, it, It's inconsistent at times. Actually, no, no, because if you think about a... Let's just look at an offside. That's probably your most 
a commonly occurring penalty in a game of rugby in the five metres when you're about to score. Yep. So you're persistently offside. Well, if it's a penalty try for being persistently offside, I've never seen that. No, because you wouldn't have... the. the it's got to be the weight of probability is that it's most likely that you would have scored the try. Yeah. So offside would be very difficult to... Unless you're offside and you intercept... Um, slap it down. Well, yeah, but then it would be the deliberate knockdown. But if you're offside and intercept, so the only penalty yeah. is the offside when there's a two-on-one in the corner, that mm. that could lead to an offside being a, a penalty try. But I, I, I don't recall yeah, ever so seeing that. Yeah, so if it's a penalty advantage but they score because you're offside, I think that's broadly speaking okay. The reason you'd yellow card someone and give a penalty try is because the thing you've done is so egregious that you just prevented a try, and that does deserve yeah. a yellow card. Get off. Yeah, unless the only other one would be if it is a team advantage, team like warning ones. for off, repeatedly offside, the final offside prevents a scorable opportunity, then that could be a yellow card mm. um, and a penalty try for an offside. Excellent. Uh, Pat, Pat <laughs> how would you say your name if it was... So, it's Patrick, and the surname is... It's either Tip's Word or Tip Sword. I, I'd go Tip Sword if I had the choice. Tip Sword. So, hopefully, you've gone Tip Sword, Patrick. If not, ch- change the way you say your name. <laughs> anyway... Patrick uh, T, I thought it was Patrick... Uh, what's his name? Tua No? Tua Pilotu. Tua Pilotu, because I know he does listen. Mmm. We'll have to get him uh, egg pieces. Pa- Patrick T. Yeah. Uh, so Patrick is one of our American listeners. We have quite a lot of those. So thank you very much, Patrick. Millions. Very much appreciate your your time. No, it's like I'm not. No, 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 no word of a lie. It's like ten or fifteen percent of our <laughs> yeah, of our audience is, is American. Which well, is it makes sense, right? Because when I wanted to get into NFL all those years ago, before NFL was mainstream, the only way you could get any access to NFL content was by podcasts. Hence, mm-hmm. I went to podcasts. And so, out, of, out of a third of a billion people, there's you know a couple of million of them will. Uh, yeah, <laughs> into rugby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, um, anyway, he's just basically saying thanks for the, the podcast. Uh, he, he spent a couple of years over in the UK at school in Newcastle at the same sick form and in the same time as Toby Flood was playing there. And he, so he played a bit of rugby there. Wait, wait, wait. That isn't Newcastle. Is that Barnard Castle that Tony, uh, Toby Flood was at? Well, he said he spent, he he spent King... a few years living in Newcastle during sick form. Uh, okay. okay. He went to, I can't remember the name of it, but King, King something. King, King, King something school. Uh, but, um... Oh, like an old jest no it doesn't matter King's Court Any, anyway um, and, and he's just said uh, tier 2 tour request in for Phoenix Arizona in absolutely Ooh, in oh yes do they, do they have an MLS team MLS uh, MLR Phoenix MLR I, I don't can... think they do Phoenix is going to be a cool town very cool town yeah but uh, could we do it oh. on our uh, Marseille road trip uh, yeah stop off in the Cognac region yeah Arizona's not far from... We could do uh, Phoenix and then hop over to the Giltinis. Is it meant to be unbelievably yeah. hot in Arizona? There's a, yes. lot, there's a lot of desert there, yeah. yeah. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like Grand Canyon is in part of that state, isn't it? I don't it's, I've got no, no idea. Nevada and Arizona, the oh, Grand yeah. Canyon. How? There's a lot of desert. Hmm. Yes, the answer is yes, we'd like to do Arizona very much. Very much See so. you there. Nice one. Now, was there a question? Uh, no, I was just sharing that. Okay. Uh, okay, here's a question. This is from Chris Andrews. Hello, Chris. Loves the pod, obviously. Um, Standard. Something that's, all, that's always bothered him uh, is, why do not why do losing teams not counter on the last play of the game? So I can tie something else in with this, which bugs me, is it, the way that... 
particularly towards the end of a game, referees just allow everything to go. Like the the team with the ball can just seal off and chuck eight men into a ruck with no discipline mm. at all, and they just. So, so I've seen that. I have, ne- I have. No, yeah. I, I have very, very rarely, if ever, seen someone steal a ball in the last minute of a game or a penalty be given against the team in possession so I, I think you very very rarely see someone steal a ball I, th- I think you do I, th- I think it doesn't always happen but sometimes referees actually sharpen up around players supporting their own body weight in the last, think in the last right. two or three minutes and it's, it's when it happens I seem to think that the commentators often reference oh yeah the directive is to to sharpen up and so you'll you'll sometimes see penalties against uh, the the first man on the offensive side of the rook, first man supporting, not supporting his body weight, which you would never normally see. So I, I think okay. I definitely think the jackal. You never see a jackal. No, in the and last why would you? Minutes. Because they are so good at protecting the ball well, cause you, when they need to. Because yeah. everyone's there, and yeah, they slow it down. You've got. A ball carrier and three men behind him all just blitz straight past, so the jackling becomes impossible. But the penalties do happen, but it's I think it's inconsistent. And there are techniques you can use to counter ruck, but when they've thrown so many guys into the count, into the ruck, you're wasting your time. You're yeah. pulling it off to get off the line, make a dominant hit, and then counter ruck through yeah. the gate afterwards. You've got to you've got to try and shut them down. But then even then, if you try and knock them back behind the gain line, some players will just get the ball and then just dive at. Yeah, dive at ankles but, to make sure they hit the deck. So if you are moving the ball back, say five yards, and you've got a pod of three there, which is quite common, and they're intentionally going to lose the ground, they can set up a fairly effective ruck. But if you come in steaming in with a bit of momentum, I think you've got more of a chance of contesting that ruck than you have the previous one from a static position. But there are coaching techniques that you can use. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but if you're engaged into a ruck, your partner comes behind you in your team and sort of puts his thigh on to like the middle of your arse. This is an incredibly homoerotic rugby. His yeah, thigh. So, so you're engaged in the ruck as a defender, right? Yeah. And you want to counter ruck, and they've got lazy. It's, it's quite a nifty te- technique, this. So then your mate will come behind you, right? Grab you kind of on the shoulder, and he's sort of lining up. So you are. So he, you, as the. Initial rucker, right? I've been dissected by his knee. Does that make sense? It it, it does. I, and I'd, love you, to, I'd love to see you manipulate Tim in this way. <laughs> it's quite hard to it's quite hard to explain. He's very very good at attacking a static ruck when people have switched off. Okay. But I'm not even. I'm sure. going to go to Talk H and go with a doll. <laughs> Show me where JB touched you. Don't swim on the chair. <laughs> I, 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 there has been a few uh, messages coming in on um, on the live chat as well actually um, and I do love this one from Niall Higgins who says completely irrelevant boys but I thought I'd point out that whenever I'm listening to the podcast and JB speaks I have an image of Michael Gove in my head don't ask me why and I was great thinking, policy well I was I was wondering like what um, <laughs> what public figure if you try and wipe your mind that you know me or Phil what public figure would you have in your mind if you were listening to us oh if I was listen, listening to you because I get a lot of oh I don't you don't look how, how I thought you would when when I've been on the radio before. I, get, I got that all the time. Well, I oh yeah, the people go oh you're tall. Yeah, so people <laughs> when they see us on the live stream think that I am Phil. Well, yeah, they think they think Phil sounds like I would look. 
I, ah, okay. I've had that quite a lot. So the, the surprise is it's me well, talking. So the public figure to have in your head when you're thinking of Phil is Shrek when he's human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know, really. No, no, I don't know. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, and um, also, some people are saying that the sound might be a bit gainy on the... Is that on your tablet or is that... Wait a no? second. I can no. sort that out. The reason it's gainy is because... I don't want to... I don't want to brag. I've just had it in a different mode because I was interviewing Dan Bigger on that same oh, channel. Right. Oh, well. I don't like talking about it, though. I don't want to talk about it. So, okay. Yeah, but I interviewed Dan Bigger. So, that, <laughs> so Dan Bigger was a lot quieter than we are. Yeah. So, fine. So, when, when's that going to be hitting our feeds? Tonight. Tonight. Or I might delay it. I might delay it and tease it for one more day. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, do it another day. Yeah. Give, give it another day. Because we've got, you know, people soak up this podcast. What a guy, and they can soak up what, the next podcast. What a guy. I, I've, I've always been incredibly impressed with him. He's amazing. Genuinely amazing. When did you get to speak to him? Well, post-match interviews. Ah. And in fact, when Northampton, uh, when it was, uh, when the Premiership came back and Northampton had had those terrible run of forms, Dan Bigger won a game against Worcester at Franklin's Gardens and Dan Bigger spoke after the game and it was just like, I actually just came away. I think on the podcast he even said, what a bloke. Yeah, he's cool, isn't he? He's really cool. I'm really looking forward to this because I've, other than the occasional post-match interview, which, um, other than you, Tim, um, a lot of uh, journalists rarely get much out of the players mm. I've not I don't think I've heard many bigger interviews no but, I, but that's I hear, exactly what I wanted to interview him I always I, hear good things about him yeah, yeah I never honestly I'm the same as you like I didn't really know what he thought about anything so um, I'm talking on the podcast I've got you, you know what he thinks about refereeing decisions in a game sometimes <laughs> well he, he he references this mm. and he says the reason that he does these sort of things is to be revealed in 24 hours time exactly right <laughs> exactly right there you go that's <laughs> he does done. actually talk about it um, that's how it's done uh, and Tom Wright also messages saying when is the theme tune for the podcast going to be played on those trumpets that he can see just out of shot Ooh. Ah, so I did make some good progress on the Washington Post March and I've not played it for a little while but uh, yes I am working on it once a week mm, for the tier 2 tour Almost certainly not. <laughs> that would be pressure. I, I can play a few a few good things. Uh, and one other one that I think this is almost like Ed on the live chat has just come up with a thing which we need to have a little think about ourselves and come up with a plan. He said, any insight on the Rugby World Cup 2023 live pod preparations? A concerned American uh, asking to align with, with the, the first ever Rugby World Cup French tour. So uh, there, hmm. there, there are people that will be in France thinking about stuff, but we need to think about our plan for next year. Yeah. We could buy a mobile van, because mo- all vans are mobile. <laughs> An immobile van. <laughs> a static van, and tow it around France. We could, we could basically do a podcast every day if there's a match right. on. So, yeah. We I could, think we'd do it. We, yeah. could, we could do that. We should do that, actually. It should yeah. be the law. We need to sort out, we need to think about what we're doing for tickets slash accreditation slash... Getting over there, yes. So, uh, a yeah. message about Wi Fi, <laughs> a message about oh, from James Parrot. Where's the question? If I can't see the question mark, I'm going to skip over it. What so, type? What type of training are you, are you doing at the minute? Because you're—I'm just thinking of like amateur clubs. Because you're not actually preparing for specific games just now, are you? So, am I not talking about that? Uh, what kind of training are we doing? So, all in line with the guidelines. No, I'm just wondering, like broadly speaking, because there's no, there's no def- definitive dates on returning to play leagues, fixtures, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we have little pools of teams who we will be 
pitched against for friendlies. So that is. And is a this thing. countrywide? I don't know if it's countrywide, but this is the thing which we've okay. got. So uh, during the last lifting of lockdown, there was one weekend, yeah. the, the glorious 19th, as it will be known now, as of December, where we got our act together with Stockport and we played a game, and it was literally the best thing we've done. I have done in 12 months. It was comfortably <laughs> the best thing. It, you know, nothing really compares to it. Um, we've tried to rearrange another game with Stockport, but they already have all their pool games. Mm. Together. So 27th of April is what I think is the date where we can play our first ready for rugby game, which is rugby without scrums and malls. Okay. But, like, who's, who's going to say, right? Um, um, I mean, you are... I mean, we could we could roll the tape on old podcasts and the you of a couple of years ago would be outraged at, at yourself for even entertaining this concept. Do you know, it's bloody good, though. <laughs> it's, it, it, having played it... I, I, I'm not judging it. I'm, it I'm, I'm, just, I'm just holding a mirror yeah. <laughs> back to the past for you. Uh, look, if we could get away with it, um, we would get away with it. There's no two ways about it. We would just say, look, no one's going to... But it's the reason that prison officers hang around in groups of five with very influential gangster prisoners because I think it's five is the minimum five is the minimum you need not to be corrupted if you hang around in, in a group of five like you caught it's 30 difficult. good luck trying to get 30 on the same script yes yeah. <laughs> well what would Fans. happen if uh, you know uh, accidentally through, fell into no, it through no fault of your own a referee really took let the boys play to a, an extra degree and didn't penalise any mauling yeah I mean or I can, Rocking. See, I can see why you think it's a go because obviously you know you think the moon landings didn't happen and <laughs> everyone everyone was paid off there so 30 people would be easy uh, no by the time we paid everyone off to let us play actual rugby we may, we may as well wait for the extra four weeks to play it but the ready for rugby oh if it's only four weeks uh, I think it's like that yeah yeah but the ready for rugby stuff I mean as much as I hated the idea of it because I thought it was opening Pandora's box for all sorts of other law changes and it might still in the future but it's actually really fun, fun to play, and you can get a lot out, get a lot out of it. So, if you want to play Didsbury Talk H, we looking, we are looking for a fixture on the twenty seventh. I think it's twenty seventh of April. Come play us. We are, we are ready to play. What an invite! Ready for rugby. We are ready for rugby. <laughs> mm. Ready for ready for rugby. Yeah, we got um, a, a very thought. I've, I've forgotten the name, and I apologise. And I will find it out and mention you at some point. We got a very long and very thoughtful email from another American listener. Um, uh, I can't remember the woman's name. Anyway, uh, one of our Patreon uh, supporters. I apologise, but just asked if um, we've been watching any of the women's rugby. So I've watched pretty much all of the highlights. Um, it's they've been. We, we mentioned this last week. Uh, sorry, pretty much all of the highlights of the Six Nations. Um, we mentioned this last week that the tournament, for obvious reasons, has been reduced. Um, and it's basically funneling for a key clash of England versus France in the final weekend. I'm going to watch that game. Which, mm. yeah, which both of them, well, neither team has had a particularly strong test thus far. Um, that should be a really good game. Yeah, I'm going to give you, I was going to lie, I'm going to give you the honest answer. No, just be honest, mate. I, 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 I haven't. I haven't, I, I haven't watched it just because there's so much rugby on. So well, well, this is what I was originally going to say. I'm going to say, look. I don't watch Pro 14. I don't watch much else. I watch the Premiership, and that's it. I just don't, don't have the time. But then, actually, I do like women's rugby. I used to watch a lot of it uh, a few years ago. 
I just find it tiresome though. Not the sport itself, but the coverage and the belly aching. Not from the women that play, you understand, but from the the people around it, which has got me to the point now, I just don't want to know. I think it's so bloody political that it's better off just sco- uh, scooting straight past it. If you try and follow women's rugby, like I had done for years, and you pick up an article now, the first couple of paragraphs is about, give you know... Um, it's unequal, or it's you know the, 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 it's some some problem, and I'm thinking all I want to know is a match report. Just tell me who the five best players are in the world. Tell me what the systems and processes are. Tell me about the match. But actually, all you end up getting is loads and loads of politics. So for that reason, I have just not watched women's rugby since. Really, I've what? gone from trying to follow yeah. week in week out uh, the escapades of um, Waterloo, Furswood Waterloo. So just, just I couldn't care less. Well, and do you know what? And I, I sympathise with with what you're saying there. And the reason I'm giving a totally honest answer, and it's it's odd that I think a lot of people do feel guilty about, or guilty or conscious about saying the honest truth. If some people are like me, there's only so much time I have in my week. I have, yeah. a, fam- I have a family. I have several jobs, and uh, and and I try and watch as much rugby as I can, including doing podcasting and videos on YouTube and stuff. Um, so I don't watch it. And a lot of people, I think, for the reasons you're talking about, feel like they're going to be a pariah of some kind if they just say, no, I don't watch it. I haven't yeah. watched it. I will watch England-France because I'm looking forward to that. But yeah. I, I'm not really interested in watching England, who are an excellent team, absolutely panning Italy or Wales. Completely an- anecdotally. And I think this is a Twitter thing, not a real-life thing. But people have gone from being very welcoming to women's rugby to, to being absolutely polarising. And the one thing which gets me is it's sort of dependent on saying to people, you should be interested in this, you should watch it, and the emphasis is on us to watch more of it. And I'm thinking, well, I used to watch, I used to try and watch it, but I'm not going to bother now. Well, if you tell me what to do, I, I basically won't, uh, won't do it. Well, what I'm taking a lot of into, I mean, Phil uh, pays for you know the odd game to watch his beloved Canes. There's loads of free rugby. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, I want to see how major lo- major league rugby pans out, and I want to watch a bit more of that, which is being live streamed. Super Rugby uh, AU AU is yeah. being live streamed. Also, I want to reconnect with the Championship. Uh, yes, quite yeah. a lot. And I, I enjoyed watching. I paid for Saracens Ealing, the mm. first re- one when Ealing um, beat them. Actually, I think they beat them in both games, didn't yeah. they? Um, that was. It was a really good game. Yeah, and and again, just from the the interest that there's been and the spotlight on it from Saracens being in that league, it's just a rem- just a reminder that the players are really really good. The quality of rugby is outstanding. So I I want to make a, a bit of an effort to to reconnect there because I've got a, a soft spot for Nottingham, and um, and yeah. So I'll tell so, you. Yeah, so there's a lot yeah. of things I would watch. Actually, England France in women's rugby. I'm all over that. England New Zealand France New Zealand. All over those. I'm not really interested in the games that have been so far. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I'll tell you a club to watch out for. Um, Plymouth. I was going to say Plymouth Orth- or- Plymouth Argyle. That Albion. is a that is a football club. Plymouth Albion. Yeah. Uh, I was speaking to someone who's involved in Plymouth Albion mm. the other day, and I'm quite excited about what they've got going on there. Your, your brother was. Not, he used to play there. Yeah. You, the, the crowds they used to get were ridiculous. I know they were crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They very nearly when when Nick was playing there, they had uh, Alfie Tuwala. Do you remember him? Yeah. And Dan Ward Smith, and they had some uh, they had some really good uh, players, and they so. They were so close to getting promoted. 
Uh, well, they've gone to the pre- Premiership. Premiership. They, just, they? they just missed out to Bristol, I think it was. Oh, oh. You, you must have played Plymouth. Yeah, played, yes. Played against Graham Dorr when he was about 48. Yeah, playing yeah. For he, them. He, he was the coach. He, 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 used and he, was, to, he was still yeah. hard as nails. Hard as nails. But he used to say to all all of the forwards, except for Dan Ward Smith and Alfie Tuala, like, basically, you're not, you're not, you used to say to my brother, you're not allowed to pass the ball. The rule was you cannot pass the ball. It was total no risk rugby. And they used to, and they used to have. So ridiculous. He, and Graham Dorr was the first person I'm aware of to do the like 15 man maul. So that, yeah. that's, they used to get all of the backs. Isn't it funny? Like, into the mall. If Graham Dorr says 15 man more, it's so regressive. But if, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of... A, a, Scott Robertson, Scotty Lee Robertson Blackett. or someone. Oh my God, 15 man more? <laughs> Such hybrid players. Um, I've just found the the message from uh, Tiffany on Patreon that you, yeah. you're referencing. Oh, what was the name, sorry? It's, T- a, very, it's a very long... I, I, we don't, it, it's, I, it's an impressively long email um, from, a, from a relatively new um, rugby fan. I'll just go. She, she's asked some very interesting and good questions. I'll just go for the last question. Uh, this is question seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are several subsections to some of the questions. It's incredibly this thought, incredibly sort of thoughtful message. Yeah, it's, it's, it's and good. In detail in report format. It's very good. But I'll go go for this. <laughs> just question seven. Why aren't Americans better at rugby union? I watched the World Cup. <laughs> That's and, a great. And question. we live close to the USA Naval Academy. Uh-huh. Mm. And I watched them play Trinity College last year. We Americans seem to be good enough to be invited to play, but that's about it. What is the answer? What is the answer? Well, sevens, they are one of the best teams in the world. I think it's a perspective thing, this. Right? So, if you're viewing America as not being very good at rugby compared to New Zealand, you are right. They're not very good. 350 million versus 3 million population. Yeah. But if you look at America versus the rest of the world, they're what, they're in the top 20? The, yeah, they're definitely in the top 20, maybe f- top 15. I mean, it's a good rugby-playing nation, and it's got a lot of talent and a lot of athletic talent. Uh, the everlasting question about America is how do they access that talent, make them want to play, why, how do they get... I hate this word so much. I'm so sick of this word. How do they get a pathway... Uh, into the national team the answer is that you do it by creating clubs that people want to go to like the ones that we've visited at Bayonne or Morris or mm. whoever it may be that's how it, that's how you do it so I, it, I think they're quite a good nation actually I just think it's perspective yeah there's a, there's a lot of focus on the transition from NFL players like you say that they're, they're a country with incredible raw athletic talent and the, the transition from say NFL or, or basketball or whatever it is to rugby um, problem being that isn't going to be a that isn't going to be a solution ultimately that will get you huge men but it will not get you it's like rugby union players like trying to become NFL players it's very very rare yeah it's difficult isn't it it's, it's unbelievably difficult because growing up and the nuances and reading the game and all of that is if, if mm. you don't get that nailed when you're young uh, it's very rare for a player to not play any rugby and be really good when they're older yeah not play any you can think of some Good examples of lads that have played basketball, particularly. I'm thinking of Jerome Tion, I think, was a basketball player before. Uh, but I, I mean, that's. And I, I went to uni with Joe Alabd. He didn't play rugby before university. Really? Yeah. Mm. So they Co- do Courtney say- Laws was. Was he about 30 when he first started playing, but didn't play properly until he was 17? He, he played on the wing. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, terrifying. Um, yeah, there are a few lads that haven't pl- played very late. Uh, American footballers can play relatively late on as well. 
basketball seems to be the place you get these guys from because of the multi-directional mm. you know, movements and whatnot. As for props, I mean, why they're not getting heavyweight wrestlers to be props? Terrifying individuals. Uh, that's your your dream is to go full fo- fox catcher. Full fox catcher. Just go, a stable go, of props. Yeah, stable of props. Go and they all live in a dormitory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got super fast Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on my land, a, st- a, a stable of props, <laughs> which I go and visit every morning. I feed hay, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, this, the sevens, because it's it's less specialised, every player has to be able to do a bit of everything. And in sevens, the... Like super, super talented and, and really super quick individuals will just stand out. And Perry Baker and Carlin Isles are the best players in the world to watch at sevens because they are they make they make unbelievable athletes look like cart horses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think as we, the reason New Zealand appears to overperform um, is that in a country with a population of what three or four million, it's the number one sport. They all play it from a very young age. It's through the school system. There's a there's a well-established club system, and and that 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 coaching at young ages is actually why New Zealand do so well. Yeah, it's cultural, though, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, you know, same as American football. It's, cult- it's cultural in Texas yeah. or wherever. Yeah, and, and and basketball in America. Yeah. So I think until you get into that's until you get into schools, or, or like you say, you have a network of local clubs that people want to go along to at a young age. Like you've got the mm. the archetypal soccer mum right now in America. Yeah. That will probably bear fruit, you'd think, in yeah. years to come. So, uh, just one thing which America can I mean, say: there's a lack of skills in America, and there is because of the coaching. They do happen to have the world's best fly half, so you can build <laughs> a team around that. Can't you? Not strictly and- speaking, an American, however. Yeah, he came came through the American schooling system, I think. Uh, yeah. a, if he says he's American, he's American. As American as apple pie. He exactly. definitely sounds American. Yes, he is. He's mm. very American. He's got an all-American look. He has. He does. He's got an all-American wife. He's got does a half-American he? half child now, so, well, no, a full-American <laughs> full American child. Full-American child. Full-American child. <laughs> um, yeah, so there we go. Uh... Carl Brewster. Have you spoken about Carl Brewster? What does Carl no. Brewster ask? He says, Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Uh, quick question for the pod on the Q&A pod. Uh, okay. Um, you had previously said that you don't want rugby to turn into football with the constant, sa- with constant sacking of coaches, etc., which I do agree with. However, when is it acceptable for questions about the coach's position to be asked? Oh, it depends. It depends. Because mm. I'll give you an example. I, I am I'm very much in the mould of if you've made the right appointment, you need to trust them and give them time. There is a reason why you appointed them and therefore they should be given due time. However, sometimes you make the wrong appointment. For example, see uh, a, a number of Leicester's recent appointment in coaches, <laughs> pretty much every one of the yeah. last five years, right up to Steve Borthwick. And I almost never would have made any of them really in the first instance and so I would always be um, wanting a a faster decision but the board there must have been a reason why they appointed Matt O'Connor again and Major and Major I quite like but um, Jordan Murphy Um, so in those instances it seemed it felt too late (laughs) to get them out because they never should have been appointed in the first place I've seen a lot of this in uh I've seen this in companies I've, I've got friends that have worked in or may have worked in before myself, but where 
where bosses get rid of someone below them because actually they're just saving their own bacon and they're the ones that's incompetent. And I think yes. potentially with Leicester Tigers, there's an argument there. If the, yeah. The, the common the, denominator there was that the wrong appointment was made multiple times yeah. and t- the people that were above were the ones that probably needed to yeah. have a little word with themselves or yeah. be gone. So rugby's got a small problem here, which is... Um, <laughs> well, the problem is which coach... Because football is very clear, isn't it? You have a first-team head coach. Well, yeah, you have the one focal point, don't you? Yeah. Who might not necessarily do that much coaching. For example, I don't think Jose Mourinho, for example, does very much coaching, but the book stops with him in terms of the performance. Whereas rugby, because of the specialisation of the coaches and there's a lot more prominent coaches, they can get blamed. Like if you've got a, a scrum coach and your scrum is massively underperforming, that's where the focus will be. Yeah, and well, yes, there's that. And also, in football, the coach comes on and gives an interview. You never see the director of football coming on and, 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 give, and giving an interview. And you wonder, like, well, who is the one who is in charge here? Is it your head coach? Uh, Paul Gustod wasn't a head coach or a director of rugby. You know what he was? Uh, he wasn't a finisher. He wasn't a... Game changer. He wasn't game changer. He wasn't a game changer. He wasn't... Uh, an Apache helicopter. No, no. What was he? He was head of rugby. <laughs> so that's not a head coach, and yeah. it's not a director of rugby. Yeah. Uh, so then you've got a situation like Gloucester, who had a director <laughs> of rugby, a non. So who's a what? So, so D- David Humphreys was director of rugby. Yep. Ackerman, Ackerman who was a head coach who didn't do much coaching. Yeah. And then the coaching team. Yeah. But that's quite. That's quite convoluted. Uh, so who gets who gets the chop? David. I mean, David Humphreys has never come on to, for interview. Well, he would, but then would if the team did poorly? Would you say David Humphreys is at fault or is Ackerman at fault? Yeah, and that's what yeah. I don't like. Really, I don't like. I I don't like that way of thinking. And I used the phrase the other week: the footballification of rugby. Sometimes you can have like a couple of bad apples in the playing squad that sours everything. And just having this sudden focus that it's all on the head coach slash director of rugby and if a team's playing bad they need to go is an oversimplification of something that's multifactorial. Mm. So there is a difference here Tim and the difference is in football you can have bad apples because let me give you let me think of an example now of it happened in rugby. Someone said something about this in rugby the other day or did they? Okay this, this is basically what I'm saying. In football Look at how the money is distributed between all of the staff, including the players and staff. You might have a manager in there who you pay five million quid to, but then you have two players in there who you pay forty million quid quid, quid to each. So what do you do? Well, and same with quarterbacks in in the NFL. You pay the quarterback a hundred million a year, and you pay the coach I don't know five million uh, per year or whatever it is. Do you do you listen to the coach who says this quarterback's a, a bad apple, or do you fire the coach? Now rugby, I think we're more balanced because you've got a salary cap. And that salary cap, because it's fairly modest, is pushing up coaching uh, coaching pay massively. And therefore, you are inclined to give your coach a little bit more time because that's where your money is now. And I think that's a big difference between fo- football and rugby, which is why you see football managers just chucked out because the, you know, the money stays. But, but to the broader point, a team playing well or not playing well is a multi-factor equation mm, and absolutely I, and, and i think in it's it's always the easiest thing to do and it's what we crave a simple easy answer and just to say coach get rid yeah is is i think just oversimplifying and actually 
I think, and that's why I have a lot of sympathy for allowing people to bed thinking because I would say on Leicester Tigers what Steve Borthwick has done brilliantly and actually this is to his credit and maybe why he's the right man for the job at the top there is he has he's not had, director of rugby he's, he, a, he's, a he's head coach, coach. he has yeah. had a proper clear out yeah. he has got rid of the dead wood but they got rid of the dead wood the year, last year and the year before the, that and the year before that not not to this extent oh, check out the numbers it was yeah, brutal no I know but now they have they have the squad they wanted but this has been a five year process to get from where they were when they overpaid kept hold of players they shouldn't mm. have kept hold of had had the value in the wrong places but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's COVID has <laughs> really helped out help out Leicester Tigers. Mm. And they got rid of all those <laughs> got, players. Got in one rid deal. of five players. Yeah, got rid of lots of uh, highly paid players. What's his name? Then went Tolafua. Uh, Tolafuanu. Tolafua went. Tolafua went because he decided um, he didn't want to stay there anymore. E- Good, e- off e- you go. Eastman went. Manu yeah. went. Tolafua's a shame, actually. If they could have persuaded him. Tolafua. Um, yeah, Jordan Tolafua. Uh, yeah, sorry, Tolafua. Jordan Tolafua. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Have I told you about my three categories of directors of rugby? Uh, I can't remember. So I've started to divide up the directors of rugby into three categories now. So okay, uh, because I'm kind of getting to the point that I think we should fire them all. Is it right? <laughs> just fire them all? <laughs> suit tracksuit, not follow no. wrong. So num- category number one, right? Of guys who, when they walk away, the team improves. Uh, C. Paul Gustard. Gustard. Even yeah. though he wasn't director of rugby, you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, Gustard would be one. Uh, I hate to say it, but Malander probably when he walked would be another. But Malander could c- come into a second. A second. And he category. won. He won the Premiership. Yeah. So he might come. Hold into... on. Hold on. Did they win the Premiership? Yeah. 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 Did, was it when he did he win the Premiership? Uh, did he win the Premiership? No, did he win did, the Premiership? Didn't they get to the final? They got to the final. I'm when, trying to remember because they got to a final when Dylan Hart. No, no, called. they did. They definitely did win. Yeah, um, yeah, they did. Uh, they won about yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, they did. Right, so actually, I'm going to put um, Malander into a set into category number two. Right, so category number one is the guy who the, their team is better when they walk. Yeah. Okay, so he should go, obviously. Yes. Category number two is the guy who is intrinsic to every, everything that the club does. Rob Baxter. Rob Baxter. Steve Diamond. Steve Diamond. Malander would be that. Well, how do they go? They eventually get worn out, whether it be Diamond or Malander or whoever it is. Eventually, they get to the end of their shelf life because they've just bloody worked so hard. And then there's the third category, um, who is the guy who does such a good job, he's no longer needed. Um, he brings up the best coaches. Yep. Um, Gary gets, Gold. Gets an amazing coaching team around them. Yeah, exactly. Does himself out of a job. All three of those people technically should really be uh, be able to be, be, be removed. And not only that, the director of rugby position now is getting so ridiculous because, uh, oh, we need an overseer. We need a guy, you know, the emperor of rugby who everyone can uh, uh, lean on to be a consultant and knows everything. And they're paying the most. And he usually does the least. So, like, is your coaches out there training people? But that is, but that's to misunderstand. It's not effort and time. It's, and you see this when you see corporate structures. As you go further up the leadership pyramid, you do less work in term, in real terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the decisions you make are far more consequential holistically uh, yeah. and affect everybody. And and so they're way more important. And and it takes a lot of experience knowledge and consideration to make those think key decisions. I think those individuals are so vanishingly rare that paying 400k to or 300k or whatever it is to the England defence coach to be that guy um, is not really... Here's an idea. Do you remember when Leinster were going 
they they started with Leo Cullen, and he wasn't doing so well. They didn't get a director of rugby. They did something else. Do you remember? They got uh, Graham Henry as a consultant uh, over the phone. That is infinitely cheaper and probably better. If you want someone just as a sounding board, get someone on, uh, on the phone. On the Paul Gustard thing, hindsight is twenty twenty because I don't remember anybody, you included, me, me included. saying it was uh, a bad call. Everyone was I, roundly saying what a fantastic signing that is. Brilliant. Yeah, he'll strength, he'll toughen up Quins. He'll yeah, get my, the, it's yeah. a change change of the, the from the old ways to the new ways. Yeah, I, I remember saying all that as well, and. Yeah. It was it was evidently which wrong. Which is why, which is why I think directors of rugby. If you were smart, you would get like Steve Diamond's on um, around now. Maybe he doesn't want a full time job. I'd happily pay him a day rate though. <laughs> like you know, if you re- if you gen- genuinely want someone as a sounding board, give him a call. He'll he'll happily take seven hundred quid a day. One of the problems I think is it's and we've kind of touched on it now, but it's the confusion between the the head coach rule the whatever Gustard was, head of rugby or head of sport and the director of rugby. Because in, in football, Jay, you highlighted it before, you have the, the kind of first team coach, which is the, the Jurgen Klopp, the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and then less so OGS, the, the Mourinho, hmm. the Arteta, the Pep Guardiola type. Above them, you have a director of football or sporting director who usually, unless you're a real football club geek, You've never even heard of these nah. individuals. A lot of them aren't necessarily even former players. They are accountants, lawyers, businessmen who are in that position. And rugby seems to have like confused the two roles. Yep. And there should be a very defined... It's effectively the head of the activities on the pitch and then the head of the activities off the pitch, which would be the, the sporting director so or director of rugby. I think someone who I personally think is very good at the off-the-field stuff and stays off the field, but is in charge of everything, is someone like Steve Vaughan at Wasps. Like, he does yeah, all yeah. of that stuff yeah. off the field, and then you go directly into the rugby staff. And I, I don't think Blackett's a director of rugby, no, is he? No, he's head coach. I think he's head coach. That, to me, sounds ideal. Yeah, so that, you have a, a businessman yeah. doing the off-field stuff and a rugby rugby coach doing the on-field stuff, and keep the boundary between them quite clear. Now, ex- there are exceptions to that. Someone like Steve Diamond, who has... Uh, in the past had a foot in both camps and, and probably Baxter as well mm. a foot in both camps but that needs to be a really special individual and just for example just promoting I, I feel like I'm having a real go at Jordan Murphy here but just promoting Jordan Murphy to director of rugby with no seeming basis based on his on-field performance or his off-field experience yeah. just seems ludicrous yeah it does it makes re- it really does make me wonder what a lot of directors of, directors of rugby do, and I know they'll tell. Everyone oh. say, you know, like, what, what does Joe Hooper do? What did, what did David <laughs> What did David <laughs> well, Humphreys do? But, <laughs> but if you look at just purely in terms of hours and minutes, and you know, someone standing behind watching as loads of coaches go and do the coaching. If you just look at it in those terms, then yes. But uh, but just to return to what you said and to, to pick up on Paul Gustard um, and compare that to say Rob Baxter, which I think I think that's the archetypal setup because. Um, it's it's whilst being very clearly defined, <clears throat> it's clearly very fluid as well. Mm. To the point that Exeter have little periods in a season, a couple of weeks where they will change roles and they'll do each other's jobs. Mm. Just is that to, right? Just to keep it fresh. Yes, yeah. that's interesting. I mean, look, Rob um, Baxter is like a the, generational. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what, just, so what I was going to say, what I was going to say was, arguably. You could look at Paul Gustard through a different lens. Like, he's gone and they've done better, and so it, it's all worked out for the best for Harlequins. But arguably, 
maybe he needed more autonomy and he needed to have the ability to be more like Steve Diamond or Rob Baxter so that everyone else went, no, he is absolutely the boss. What he says goes. And maybe, I'm not saying this is the case at Quinns, but maybe it was the case that when you're not quite top man, top perch, what you say goes and you have total power, mm. people, like the cracks can form with some people. Yeah. One of the big weaknesses of everything that I think is actually Leicester Tigers and their old structure. Because I think their old structure is really good. Uh, it cockers? Out. No. Yes, kind of. So you had Cockers doing the rugby, but the de facto director of rugby would be... Um, Jed? Jed and Mason, Simon, because Jed, yeah. they've got agency backgrounds. And I thought that was going to work really well. And also they've got a little subdivision, haven't they, of the rugby committee, which is a quad of Ben Kay and... the. Three others, not Rory Underwood. It is Rory Underwood. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, maybe it's Jed. And it was Jed Mason and um, I, I'm, Simon Cohen. So, anyway, yeah. Do, doesn't really are. matter. Although the structure made sense, it didn't actually work. Yeah, and they didn't have a director of rugby quite, kind of like that. Um, now, so I mean, sometimes rugby by committee doesn't work. But then Leon in the French, not top fourteen, the football club, do run on committee. Like they literally, they have loads of uh, loads of coaches changing um, changing over, and I don't know if they still do it now, but it's actually referencing like Soconomics, which they have lots of people on a board, and that will be it. It's like the wisdom of the crowd, and I mm. think there's something to that. For Leicester, their revival has been based around um, another guy from an a- from an agency background who's come in to put uh, systems and processes in, who will then hand over that to the new team manager. That is coming on board. So it is a very similar kind of process as they had before, but this time it's working. So maybe they just had... The, yeah, you know, maybe it's just individual... Just, yeah. as, lo- as long as all of the different roles and people are pulling towards a unified yeah. point, then it, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the structure is, really, as long as that is the outcome. And there's also team managers who seem to be working on the team side, doing all of the admin for all the off-the-field stuff, um, but they aren't responsible for performance so like arranging coach trips and whatnot so like Quinns now will be relying more on Billy Millard for instance or Mm. you know whoever or Dave Bassett at Wasps or whoever that is they have an an enormous role too so when you think oh well maybe the director of rugby is organising everything well that's usually the team manager what are directors of rugby doing (laughs) fire them all (laughs) but you'd say if you were going to say that you'd say that about every managing director or uh, no, no, because because no, he's actually top of the a director tree, right? of rugby would be a chief exec. You say that about every chief exec at every corporate, uh, every company in the, the in the land. They are actual, you know, well, what's the actual chief. Well, yeah, well, so, but what director what, of rugby is a director's but, position. But on what does the chief executive do? Ultimately, when you bubble what that role that is, what what do they do? Well, the chief executive stuff—they're just decision makers, aren't they? They're well, the high level, not decision, not decision makers. They high level, yeah, high level decision makers, yeah. high level. Course plotters. I, I, yeah, I guess the word director. You know, they direct where where mm. the organisation is going. That's but why I think director of rugby is just a nonsense. The the confusion between the rules yeah. and the the inconsistency in the rule is terrible. Mm. Um, one more question. One there more you go. Question. So so we do a lot. So of cha- it, we we do some chats for people that are doing economics courses. This one would be like business and management. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just segment. Did we answer the question? When do we fire managers? Uh, ASAP. Yeah, as soon as they lose a game. Yeah. Yes, one game and they're gone. One game gone. One game gone. Um, Agreed. Right, last question because this leads into the final bit. Oh, this, yeah. this is from uh, Rich Mason who says, Gents, love the pod, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. Can you make sure that you all predict clearly one way or the other the outcome of the Premier Ga- Premiership games? <laughs> if you do this, I will be able to share something with you at the end of the season <clears throat> regarding how accurate each of your predictions are over the course of a season. Uh-oh. Which is terrifying. Uh-oh. Perhaps Uh-oh. you could create a Tetlock Cup for the best predictor. Mm. So I just want to say about this, right? The way that I predict r- rugby games is not necessarily what I think the most likely outcome is. The way I predict rugby games is... Where will I get the most praise if this happens to come off? <laughs> Which is why you often predict both teams to win. Yeah, exactly right. Or, you know, I, I, like, I like to say things like, of course Worcester will beat Exeter. Of course they will. <laughs> then I've seen it. So it's a bigger payoff for me. I'm not interested in like, small wins. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of small wins, yeah. Friday 16th of April, we have Northampton Saints at home to London Irish. Mm, tasty game. Mm. Mm. Both had disappointment mm. in Europe. I think London Irish do them. I think they are more physical. Uh, although Albert Tuasui dropped the ball an awful lot, he is a bloody good ball carrier. He's a very good ball carrier. Saints do struggle with that. Saints are young and talented and explosive, but you need more than that. I can't believe that Dan Bigger will be vetoing the Rugby Dungeon podcast now after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go Northampton at home. I, you- much as I, because I, I, you know, I, I'm. I'm almost ready to say I'm a London Irish fan now. Almost there, almost there. <laughs> I'm, almost, I'm very close to it. Have we got a London Irish shirt? In no, we here? don't. I've got, I, I, I can lay my hands on them. Mm. Got loads. I know. I know. I've got. I've got loads knocking. He's about. got loads at home. I, give me Saints. Give me Northampton at home. Mm. Then we have Extra Chiefs against Wasps Saturday at twelve thirty kickoff. Yeah, it's an early kickoff now because the the games that were on BT Sport were going to be one after the other because of the funeral of Prince Philip, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. It's been split one before, one after. Yeah. Did we talk about Prince Philip yesterday? No. Did we not? Do no. you know who he fought at the Battle of Cape Matapan? Uh, I did not. Cape Matapan. If, if, go and have a look at the Battle of Cape Matapan. Is that the one in, is that in the Indian Ocean or in the Mediterranean? It's in the Med. Yeah. I think he served on HMS Valiant. Yeah, because um, I, know, I know he served in those two parts of World oh, War yes, II. Oh, yes, of course. He was there for the surrender of Japan. Yeah. <laughs> what a life. Yeah. What a life. Unbelievable life. Um, look at the Battle of Cape, Cape, Cape Matapan. What a story. What a great job that the Royal Navy did. Um, it's just a great, great story. And he was on the searchlights, and that doesn't mean anything to you right now. But if you look at that story and find out what they were doing with those searchlights, because he, he was together. of noble birth, like Danish and Greek, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. So I was, I was going, really, was he really put in danger? Like, oh yeah, yeah. in danger. Like, wow. In in the Falklands, was it was it, was it Prince Andrew that flew Harriers? Like legitimate. Lee Flew Harriers. Yeah, well, the Fal- the Falklands. I've had um, I've seen someone explain the Falklands War as uh, you, you know when you got a, a big guy and a really short guy, and the big guy's holding the little guy uh, by the head yeah. with, with a straight arm, and the little guy's swinging his arms trying to hit but can't reach. Yeah, because because the UK just had bombs that went further than the Argentinian bombs. I, so it was- I, I mean, I, I take issue with that on the count of like, we were fighting on their doorstep and we had to get all the stuff there. Yeah, of course. But, yes, I can see why you'd think that uh, a great military uh, power like ourselves back in the day would have a bit, bit of a mismatch there. It's actually very, very hard to do that. Kind of, do, of course. Do, do, and do logistically kind of as much as anything. Uh, but no, I, I, that's, yeah, I, I was looking, I was, because I'd heard them say he served in the Royal Navy, in the Indian Ocean, and in the Mediterranean during World War II. And I thought, wow, fair play. He properly served. But the, yeah, there you go. That was yeah. the bit I was going, mm, was it? Was it mm. like... Find out what they did to uh, the, the pole of the Tsar and the other Italian cruiser, which they happened to, to encounter in the Med that night. Uh, and then you'll realise it was, it was 
a big deal. There's one awesome little naval story. Um, uh, so I go to the Peloponnese in Greece quite a lot, and there's one little place called Pylos, and the Bay of Pylos, the... Um, there was the Turkish Navy and, and the British Navy was defending Greece and some Turkish, one of the Turkish Navy accidentally fired something and then the, the British boats just sunk the whole <laughs> Turkish Navy. on the. And as a result, there are statues of British soldiers in this part of Greece. Oh, really? They have, yeah, yeah. And they, I think they fly, they, they fly a Union Jack there for that reason and, and there are still Turkish boats incredible on the floor some amazing stories isn't there uh, the escapades of the Royal Navy and we not... think we've got it tough yeah. <laughs> escapade... we think we've got it tough at the minute the escapades of the Royal Navy whilst not always wholesome uh, are usually <laughs> very very fun to read oh, the, I think I might have mentioned it before just one more quick one the the story of the the naval soldiers that were on a passenger ferry go leave trying to flee hong kong or japan was it or uh it might have been hong kong trying to flee hong kong they were doing it in a in a in a commercial ship and to get away and it got sunk it got hit or it might have been a natural naval ship i don't know but the, the basic story is that there were loads of british naval naval soldiers in a boat that got sunk the doors were locked, oh, so, so they were stuck. They couldn't get out, and the, the the couple of people that did manage to get out, and the other people that were in the area, said what they heard from the boat as it went down with these British soldiers locked in this little oh. bit was them singing. Oh God! Si- oh, like of that. singing na- singing oh. naval songs. Oh wow! So the stoicism of these of these men, yeah, yeah, yeah. far younger than than we are now is ama- I find it amazing. Better people than I. Yeah. Better people yeah. than I. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fact. Yeah. I'll find out the name of that story because I think you'd like that. Yeah, it's just made. It's, it's made of uh, uh, grizzly. Um, what was Chief, it? What were they saying? Chiefs wasps. Chief wasps. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to do some predictions. The chiefs. Chiefs. Five yeah. points to zero. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe five points to one. No, five points to zero. Yes. Yeah. Well, Wasp had a week off. Exeter had a tough game last weekend, but Exeter will correct that. And now they've got one singular focus. Correct. Yes. Um, Sale host Gloucester as well. Uh, will I go to this game? Yes, I probably will, if I'm allowed. Um, Sale home win. Sale home win. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Quinns host Worcester. Quinns. Qu- big Quinns, Quinns win. Quinns home win. Yep. So we've got we've gone for four home wins so far, Phil. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle versus Bristol. Yeah, will be an away win. I think uh, that will be an away win. Will it be an away win? Will it though? Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah, on balance, probably. This is a tasty one. Here yeah. We go. Here we go. The the final game of the weekend on Sunday at three o'clock is Bath hosting Leicester. Woohoo! Yeah. Every bone in my body wants to say Leicester. It's willing Leicester to win. Willing Leicester to win. Let's bring <coughs> let's bring this area of Bath to an end now. Right? It's a it, it's a failed failed experiment. That said, it's not failed, is it? Because I think Bath will really do well against Leicester's style of play. I'm not I'm not sure Leicester I'm not sure Leicester going and playing like Leicester is gonna do particularly well against Bath. It just worries me. It's two packs that wanna go for it yeah. and there's a sprinkling of talent outside them. Yeah. Probably a bit more of a sprinkling on on the bath side, but so I, th- I think this will be a, a great game. This will be very physical. We have to balance up, t- t- weigh up two things here in my mind. One, 
Bath's outside, uh, Bath's back talent versus Leicester's um, tactical tactical now basically the way that they basically, played the game. Wigg- Wigglesworth and George Ford. Yeah. Now I think I yeah you've just said Wigglesworth and George Ford. Give me Leicester. Well, it'll probably be Ben Youngs and George Ford. Nah. Give me Bath. <laughs> No, <laughs> Ben Young's his third choice Leicester scrum half. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see who they pick. There's no way I would not pick. Wiggy, the way they're playing, Wiggy. give me Wiggy. I, yeah, I pick Wigglesworth for almost every team. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I think this is a great game. I uh, think it will be. And I'm going to go for Bath. Just if Leicester can pin them in the corners, I th- and then make them pay. That's a big if, isn't it? it, it it's a big if. I think. I think Leicester. I think Bath. When I've said this oh, a yeah, few yeah, times. Is, is Priestland fit? Don't know. Ooh, don't know. I think Bailey, Bailey had went a head off. injury, didn't he? Yeah, Bailey went off. Bailey he's not, he's if Pri- if Priestland's Bailey. not fit, it's Leicester. Yeah. I don't think, but I don't think Priestland gives them what they need. I think Priestland's got some nice hands on occasion. I don't think he's tactically astute. No. Bath, I've said this before, but they either score their tries through total physicality or individual brilliance. And I think they'll struggle against Leicester with, with that kind of match. I'm going to change my Mix mind. Up. I'm going Leicester away. Yeah, give me Leicester. Leicester, yeah. Leicester. Four, four home wins and then Bri- Bristol and Leicester away. Uh, I think yeah. uh, Irish will win. I think Irish will beat North yeah. Saints. I can see that. I can see it. Maybe not this week. What would that do? To, let me just see. Let me have a look on my bath track and see what, see what that would do. To. <laughs> it would make no difference really to the table other than separating Leicester from... Yeah, from Bath a bit more. All all the teams below Bath are, it might are losing it, this it week. It might make it six teams only. It might it might cement the top six. Yeah, let's all get into top six, and then we'll start applying pressure to Harlequins as I expected. Hmm. I think they're going. Oh, Leicester lose, and then I know nothing about rugby. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Well, at least we've been clear about our predictions this time. And, yes. And with that, we'll end this podcast. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, I did see some more messages on the live chat. Steve Parrot, I saw your little message about. Uh, my brother getting uh, knocked out and your video evidence of it. I'd love to see that. Oh, yes. Oh, did he? I'd love to see that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, please let me see that because he, he might need it as an exhibit for the... The, uh, <laughs> the court case. The court case. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, uh, thank you very much. And, yes, David Price was backing you up on Prince Andrew flew seeking helicopters, not Harriers. Oh, is that what he flew? So Idiot me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, good, thank you very much. Um, that, that was our leadership and naval, <laughs> historical naval conquest podcast uh, done yeah. done for another day. Uh, you can find us on patreon.com slash eggchasers on Twitter and make, make sure you hit subscribe in the feed um, on YouTube as well because Dan Bigger will be popping up in, a, in about 24 hours' time. In the meantime... About an hour. Let the boys play. Let the boys play.